0: reach out to me at stephanie@mission.org at to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at UpNext in Commerce.
1: It's really interesting, this tension around, do I want to get to market as quickly as possible? Or do we want to take a step back, feel really confident in the research, the development, the product testing? we went through many, many versions of the mattress, many, many versions of the algorithm and how we match people. And the approach that we took, you really only get to come out to the world and present your product once, at least in physical products. That's sort of our belief as differentiated perhaps from a more technical product where you can have an MVP. We couldn't really sell a mattress that was only 50% as good as we wanted it to be one day because we would get terrible product reviews and we couldn't sort of build brand equity that way.
2: There are some big ticket items that most people have a need, but absolutely hate shopping for. Mattresses fall into that category. In fact, studies have shown that people would rather go to the dentist than buy a new mattress. Helix Sleep is trying to take the pain out of that experience. Adam Tishman is the co-founder and co-CEO of Helix Sleep. And on this episode of Up Next in Commerce, he explains why his D2C mattress company is different from the rest, and why those differences matter. He explains the reason it was critical to spend time researching, testing, and perfecting a product before bringing it to market and how that upfront effort created priceless brand equity. Adam also dives into personalization, but he takes it beyond the need to simply give customers a personalized experience and explains why data collection and a personalization strategy that includes personalized products can help you expand your business more successfully when you are ready. Enjoy this episode. next in commerce is brought to you
0: by Salesforce commerce cloud respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing sales and service deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel together we're ready for what's next in commerce learn more at salesforce.com commerce Hey listeners, it's Stephanie. Before we dive into the episode, I want to let you in on a little secret. Did you know that Mission has the number one e-commerce newsletter? It's amazing, it has really good news and insights and case studies that you will not find anywhere else. So go subscribe, mission.org slash upnext in commerce. All right, on to the show. Hey, everyone. This is Stephanie Postles, co-founder at Mission.org and your host. Today, we're chatting with Adam Tishman, the co-founder and co-CEO at Helix Sleep. Adam, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you. So I have never said co-CEO before, which Mm -hmm. I kind of want to start there. Tell me a bit about, you know, being a co-CEO at a company.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, we we founded the business, myself and and two other co-founders out of business school. And over the sort of evolution of, of the company and, and where, you know, where we've been over the past five years, um, we actually run it with myself and one of the other co-founders as sort of the, the, the two-headed dragon as, as, as co-CEOs. And then um, our third founder is our CFO and COO. Um, and it works really well because it allows us to sort of manage different areas of the business at the CEO level and also
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, work, work really collaboratively together as well.
0: Awesome. So you co-founded Helix Sleep and that was back in 2015, right?
1: Yeah. So it was uh, founded by myself. And as I said, two other co-founders back in 2015, uh, the three of us had moved to a new city to go to school, went through the process of buying a mattress, you know, just for ourselves. And it was sort of uniquely terrible in, yep. in, in many ways, um, whether it was really confusing, uh, like pricing and, and really expensive pricing in the store, uh, really just bad in-store buying experience. We actually found out later doing research that buying a mattress is actually rated as a worse experience than going to the dentist.
0: Oh um, wow. That's yeah. intense. <laughs>
1: and, and the last thing was it was just really confusing. Like if you if you don't buy mattresses all the time, which which no one really does, and it's something that you buy someone infrequently, people have a really hard time understanding how to buy it. And so uh, for us, we sort of saw the problem, saw some of the solutions that others in our category were trying to fix this problem and, and, and felt like we could sort of come in and, and and solve it in a much better, more efficient way.
0: Got it. So five years ago feels like so long ago. What was the market like back then? I mean, who were some of the people, that, the up and coming people and what kind of unique angle did you guys see in the market at that time?
1: Yeah, definitely. So five years ago, I would say the direct to consumer or just generally buying mattresses online was was pretty nascent. It was, you know, predominantly people were going to stores. There was actually a while where people were buying beds on phones, but we sort of saw the market, which is very consolidated at the like traditional brand retail level. So you have like Service Simmons, Tempur-Sealy, Sleep Number, Casper, which is, you know, the most well-known and largest player uh, of Mm -hmm. the D2C mattress brands had launched recently um, and had, you know, really done a good job at showing that this was a category that could generate interest online, you know, somewhat of an atypical category um, with low, as I mentioned, low e-commerce penetration. Uh, what we saw as the issues that I mentioned earlier, we felt that Casper and a lot of the other brands that were starting to pop up uh, were sort of maybe filling in one friction but replacing it with a different friction. So mm-hmm. um, you know, all of us, including Helix, offer products directly to consumers at much better price points. Uh, helping out that value chain issue with traditional retailers everyone tries to provide a much better buying experience through a really good user experience on the website hundred night trial free shipping etc um the issue where we really differentiate at at Helix is around the product itself so what Casper did and what pretty much every other planner space did was said it's really challenging to choose a mattress so we're going to just get rid of choice altogether mm-hmm. and offer one type of mattress for, for every single person. Yep. And what we found doing a whole ton of research and, and talking to people, and it sort of makes sense, you know, if you think about it implicitly, is that there really is a wide variety of needs and preferences as it relates to your, to your mattress and to the way that you sleep the same way that we all don't fit in the same clothing. We all don't have the same exercise routine that works best for us, the same diet. Sleep is, is quite personal. So one of our missions was effectively, could we help customers understand the right products for them through a sleep quiz that asked questions about things that you knew about yourself? So your body type, your height, your, your weight, do you tend to sleep on your back or your stomach? Do you get hot at night? Do you get cold? Do you have back pain? Do you like a bed a little bit firmer or softer? And then we take that information and effectively translate it into the best mattress for you. So. Uh, The order of the layers in the mattress, the density of those layers, the types of materials, the density of those materials are all really important for for getting the best night's night sleep. And effectively, that's what we're doing. So we like to think of it as sort of providing a technology-enriched solution as a salesperson. So instead of going to the store and sort of hanging out with a salesperson, we we do that online through our quiz.
0: Very cool. And yeah, what I love about what I read about you guys was that you did a ton of research. I think I read that you went through a hundred plus page PhD dissertations and you partnered with researchers in Europe to make sure you really understand understood how to create this algorithm and this quiz. Tell me a bit about your thought process there because I think that's so different than a lot of D2C companies right now who are just trying to get that quick launch, take advantage of the market um, and are like just going really quickly instead of taking a step back and doing the research and figuring out how to solve the problem.
1: A hundred percent. You know, I think for us, none of the three of us came from a traditional like mattress background, right? And, and so we, we did what three nerdy guys would do, which is when we started to do research. And we, we actually had this idea and stumbled across a PhD dissertation on sleep ergonomics, which is the study of the sort of spinal alignment of your back while you're sleeping. You, you hear a lot about spinal alignment and ergonomics in like sort of office chairs but this was really the first PhD dissertation on that with, with bodies lying down. And we actually noticed that at the bottom of the PhD dissertation, um, the, the head author had left his email address, and so we emailed him. A Couple days later, we got on a Skype call with him. He, they were located in Europe. And then about a week and a half later, we actually flew to Europe and met with them and effectively worked with them to translate their like initial science into the, the crux of our initial algorithm, which over the last five years, we've sort of wholly taken ownership of and, and, and refined quite, quite a lot. And so it was, it was sort of a funny story because it, it really was like we got on a plane and went to Belgium and had to figure out like where, where we were going and all those types of things. But it was really important because we felt like we had like a scientific base for the hypothesis that we were making. Yep. Um, you know, I think to your second part of the question, it's really interesting this tension around: do I want to get to market like as quickly as possible, or do we want to take a step back, feel really confident in the the research, the development, the product testing? You know, as you mentioned, we went through many, many versions of the mattress, many, many versions of the algorithm and, and how we match people. And the approach that we took was that you you really only get to you know come out to the world and present your product once, at least in in physical products. That's sort of our belief as, as differentiated perhaps from a more technical product where you can have an MVP. We, we couldn't really sell a mattress that was only 50% as good as we wanted it to be one day because we would get terrible product reviews and we, we couldn't sort of build brand equity that way. And so we, we did a lot of work up front to make sure that the product was where we wanted it to be.
0: That's great. It, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of room to partner with researchers around a bunch of different topics. But what was that partnership like? I mean, when you went over to Belgium... And you're essentially building out a model or an algorithm based on this person's research. Were they like, um, I want a piece of the pie? Like, I want a little equity? Or were they ready to give you all the information for free?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we ended up working out um, a deal with them where effectively they provided like consulting services in exchange for um, equity in the business. Mm -hmm. Of course, that could have been consulting services for, for money at the time. You know, this was literally very, very early days. It was actually before we started working with them before we had raised our seed round. So there, there wasn't any money to pay them really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we went ahead with um, an equity relationship, which we felt made, made sense at the time. We still feel like it makes sense today. You know, we don't really work with them at all and have not for a while, but it was really helpful to sort of supercharge our our learning and understanding. Mm-hmm in terms of the development of of the product and the algorithm.
0: Very cool. Do you, I mean, have you had to iterate the model? Do you see people requesting, you know, different sleeping habits or behaviors? Like are things, have things changed over the past five years where you've actually had to change the model a couple of times?
1: Yeah, a lot, actually. It's one of the biggest, from from a, you know, like from a consumer perspective, you know, our differentiation is about providing personalization and a more custom, you know, mattress buying experience. But from a business model perspective, our ability to look at our algorithm or our, or our model and effectively improve it is is a really big lever to to what makes us unique and so if you think about um, what we're doing is we're we're taking as i said information about yourself matching it to a mattress and so over the years we've we've effectively you know having sold hundreds of thousands of beds we just have a lot more data so we've been able to improve both the way that we match you so Person A with these attributes, are you getting matched to bed XYZ and, and, and sort of edit that as well as making physical product improvements to the beds themselves? So, you know, a lot of people talk about A B testing and talk about opportunities with using data to improve your product as it relates to like your digital product, right? You know, your on site conversion or your UX or something like that. We have taken that mentality to the physical product as well. And we've actually been able to reduce our return rate, improve customer satisfaction, improve average order value, all like the main metrics associated with product and product satisfaction by effectively looking at it in, in that light.
0: Got it. I also was reading that the return rate, like if you overemphasize how you have free returns and the 100-day you know, night guarantee and all that, if you overdo that, You'll be able to sell a lot more just because people have peace of mind. Even though I think I saw at least—I mean, it was a Casper stat, but it was only ten percent of the people or less actually return their mattress. Do you guys go about that same way of thinking of overemphasize things to make people feel like it's a risk uh, risk free purchase? Yeah, I think
1: I think there's two things there. I think that in our category, offering a fairly long return period—it's it's typically a hundred nights. Mm-hmm is kind of necessary because you need to make someone feel confident in purchasing such a, a large but really expensive item, right? Like average order values in our category are really high. And so people want to feel really confident in, in the product that they're, that they're ordering. And that's why all of these brands are offering free returns, um, free shipping, in many cases or most cases, um, really generous policies around warranties, et cetera. It's just offering more opportunity to make someone feel comfortable with with spending those dollars. so you know we definitely approach it that way. I wouldn't say that we necessarily like overemphasize it. The reality is um, most people need around two to four weeks to get used to a new mattress, and then after that, you should you, you don't really need another seventy days, yep. but people tend to to like that process, you know and in, and in terms of return rates, like you're right that return rates are they're honestly, I mean, Casper's return rate is, is probably higher than that number you said, but mm-hmm. they're not as bad as like retail, you know, like traditional apparel or something where return rates are like 40, you know, 50% or something like that.
0: Yep. What happens when a mattress is returned? Where does it go?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. So we do a few things. So when customers want to return a product, um, first we, we work with them to see why, because there are ways we actually can improve the product experience like after the fact so we can send you a topper that adjusts the feel um or or other things along those lines but in cases where uh, mattresses need to be returned at at helix at least we actually donate the vast majority of them Mm -hmm. so we have a a network of donation partners across the country where uh we will we will donate them um in some cases we cannot donate them either because there's state laws against it or city laws against it or um if someone's like located in a somewhat remote area yep. and in which case we work with, um, junk removal partners that end up recycling them. So all of our beds are are technically in the hundred night period considered lightly used. So, uh, they're eligible for, for donation.
0: That's great. So I was reading, there's about over a hundred companies now that sell mattresses online how do you show how different your mattresses are and the algorithm that you have going on like how do you showcase that value proposition on your website or your advertising
1: yeah definitely so um it's it's a good question and you know it's funny we that that quote comes up a lot like the you know the 100 plus um mm-hmm. mattress companies it's one of those weird categories where there is a very long tail of players so you probably have 10 to 15 players that have reached any semblance of scale and then 80 that are very, very small. I mean, you would almost consider them like the equivalent would be like a mom and pop shop in in like retail world. What I will say is that buying a mattress is a long lead process. So uh, when you decide you want to buy a bed, you're typically in market for it for a week, a few weeks, months even. And what that means is that you have many touch points with multiple brands. And and you can imagine it's like buying a car, it's like buying anything that's expensive. And so across that journey, we feel like we do a really good job of of sort of elevating our brand proposition and really personalizing our messaging specifically to consumers in ways that really speak to them so that our differentiation um, shines. The the other thing is that because of the way that we customize beds... And, and also that we really spend a lot of time on making sure that the product quality is excellent is we, we've just, we just win a lot of like awards. So like we were named GQ's Best Mattress, um, Wired Best Mattress, whole host of others. Um, and then we also get awards like for specific affinity groups. So like best, mat- best Mattress for Back Sleepers, Best Mattress for Plus Size Consumers or something like that. And, and we're able to elevate those messages on like individual mattresses.
0: Got it. Yeah, I saw, I think it was your organic line that won an award. How did you guys think about developing a new product that was organic materials? And also, you know, when you like launch something like that, does it make your other products maybe not look as good? Or how did you guys think about like that? Will it help us or hurt us putting out an organic line? Because when I looked at it, and I look at any organic products, it always makes you think like, oh, well, what's in the other one? If this one's made of natural materials and no chemicals, like, so how did you guys think about that balance?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, we actually thought about that question a lot. And where we ended up, and it's, it's almost the, the core strategy of Helix is that, you know, through, throughout the first three and a half years of our business, we were holistically a single D2C brand Helix, right? Started out as just mattresses and then extended into other sleep products, pillows, sheets, box springs, adjustable bases, et cetera. Um, yep. And then about a year and a half ago, we took a step back. Saw what we were building, which was this really fast-growing, profitable brand, in, in a category that we were sort of one of the leaders in. Um, but what we saw under the hood was this really excellent collection of skill sets across across our team, across our technology, some in-house built uh, technology, across our supply chain capabilities and relationships. Could we view ourselves less as a single brand and more as a platform on which we could build a portfolio of home good brands? And that is the strategy that we are currently on. And so Helix is our sort of most well-known, largest brand. Um, but Birch, which is our organic line, or organic brand, was launched about a year ago. And it is actually a sort of related, but completely separate brand. So if mm-hmm. you were to go to birchliving.com, you would effectively see an entirely organic ecosystem with the goal of really feeling, not not, I mean, truthfully feeling authentic to consumers that care about organic products, that, that supply chain is 100% sustainable. Um, it, it's just a much different consumer. And so, you know, we want to make sure we talk to that niche consumer in a specific way that is perhaps different than um, a, a typical Helix consumer. Um, and we've extended that, that process out more recently with the launch of Form, which is our, actually our first step out of the bedroom into the living room, uh, which is a modular uh, furniture brand.
0: I love that. I mean, that seems so smart because it's different consumers. They're looking for different things. And, you know, like I was, was, like you were just mentioning, if you're comparing the two, then you might actually walk away feeling bad if you went with, you know, the one that wasn't organic. But when you have it on a completely different site, you're really, you know, meeting the needs of the person who's coming there instead of trying to put everything on one site. So I love that.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it's just a, you know, it's, a, it's certainly a slightly different strategy. Um, but we feel like, we just feel like consumers, Especially online consumers want niche experiences and, mm-hmm. and want experiences that really speak to, to who they are and, and and their preferences. And we were we were sort of already doing that on the product side with Helix, but it made sense to do it in this scenario on the brand side with Birch as well.
0: Yep. How do you keep track of everything that's happening under the different brands and the different websites? I mean, how do you, you know, make sure any learnings that happen at Birch? or maybe transferred over to Helix and over to the furniture line, like how do you keep it cohesive when you essentially have now three or four different businesses running?
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard uh, for sure. Um, you know, I think we're currently operating under a shared services like model. So we don't have like a team that just does Helix and a team that just does Birch or a team that just does all form. Um, we're just not, the other two brands are just like not at that scale yet, Mm -hmm. but um, so that 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 makes this actually a little bit easier because you're having you have the same people that work in a functional area, you know, working across across all of the brands. Yep. But it, it's certainly challenging, it, it, for sure. And you know, we've been able to take a lot of learnings from Helix specifically, which is a much, you know, which is an older brand. It has a lot. It, it just has a lot more data. It has more customers on a on a daily and monthly basis, and leverage those learnings. Across the other brands, which is, it's typically in that direction from from a learning's perspective.
0: Yep, I mean, it, there seems like there's a big opportunity to also retarget prior customers because you already know how to talk to them. You've already sold to them before, and then showing them your new furniture line or the pillows or bed frame, uh, even if it's on a different website, you kind of already know how to communicate that to them in a way that has converted in the past.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the core um, like business case, right? And you know, and from a business perspective, we like that because you know, it allows us to, you know, acquire a customer, build a lot of goodwill with that customer and then sell them more products, right? Obviously. Yeah. But from a consumer perspective, we also think it adds a lot of value to the customer journey because customers that are in market for things like mattresses tend to be in market for other, other home good products. Maybe you're moving, maybe you're renovating, maybe you got married, maybe you had a kid. So, something is is predicating. Um, your your reason for being in market, and in many cases, if we can offer, if we can sort of create a lot of goodwill with you, and then offer you more products, it, it's not just good for our business; it's also good for the customer because it makes shopping easier, right? It makes your 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 mm-hmm. purchase cycle and shopping and, and all of that a lot easier. And so that's what we're we're starting to do now, and, and where we're excited to to go in the future.
0: Very okay, cool. So I also saw that you guys. I don't know if you still have showrooms but you did have some showrooms in New York and the process was that a customer would come in and they would take the quiz and then they would go to the showroom and maybe hang out for an hour, take a nap, try out the mattress. How has that model changed? And uh, yeah, like what's going on with maybe not having the ability to bring people into a showroom and try it out.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, yeah, we had a showroom in New York. Um, It's obviously been closed for, for the last nine months. Um, It was a really unique experience because it felt extremely personal uh, because it, because it was really personal. It almost felt more like you were getting like a like a piece of clothing tailored because you would show up, you'd make in Many cases you would actually make an appointment in advance. We would have your information. We would actually build the bed for you on the spot. You'd be part of that process, and then you could hang out, test it, etc. Um, and we tried to make the experience really really great. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate that we we've, we've had to close it. We have plans of of moving into you know, a more aggressive aggressive thoughts around potentially showrooms or, or retail units um, going forward.
0: And so when thinking about your marketing toolkit, what are some of your favorite channels to get in front of new customers right now?
1: Yeah, so you know I think that uh, we approach marketing extremely holistically. We have a very, very diversified uh, marketing approach. Part of the reason for that is we we think it just mitigates risk. It's very scary when, you know, 80% of your marketing budget is in one single channel, um, especially mm-hmm. if one of those channels is like a technology marketplace or, you know, if it's Google or Facebook and all of a sudden the Google algorithm changes or Facebook gets rid of a targeted audience and, and that that's it. And that actually happened in the in the home goods category a few years ago on Facebook. They,
0: what did what they take away?
1: Yeah, I think it was... I might, I think it was 2018. They, they took away, there was a way that Facebook could help identify new movers mm-hmm. and they took that away and we weren't super hit by it, but I know a lot of home good brands and a lot of mattress companies, like it was like overnight, 30% of your ad spent disappeared, kind of oh, that, wow. that kind of thing.
0: That's interesting. They were even talking about new movers because I'm in the process of moving right now and thinking about, do I just, want to buy a new mattress. So when we get there, it's already set up or, you know, cause it's going to take maybe a week or so to get all my stuff there. That's yeah. so very smart to be able to target people like me.
1: Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, we try to avoid that be just being too aggregated in a single channel. Um, and so we're really diversified. The other thing is we operate almost all of our channels in house. It's just really important to us to be internal and, and holistic about it. So, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, you know, in terms of channels that we, we love, it's nothing, nothing crazy. You know, we, we're obviously across all the digital channels, radio, podcast, direct mail, all of those. I think, I think the, the magic, you know, if there is magic, the magic for us is really around thinking through the, the customer funnel holistically and making sure we understand and attribute accordingly um, with a pretty diversified marketing stack.
0: So in thinking about 2021, what kind of trends are you most excited about or, you know, new behaviors that you've seen occurring that you guys are excited about?
1: Yeah, I I think there's a lot. You know, I think obviously um, just in general, COVID has really accelerated like e-commerce adoption, you know, in in atypical categories. And so I Mm -hmm. think that's pretty exciting to see where that settles, you know, once hopefully the, the world gets back to normal. You know, I think a few areas that we're particularly interested in is there's, there's a lot of movement on like payment options and, and like better opportunities for people to pay, um, which is sort of okay. exciting. Another one is really around like blending products and services. So um, sort of like offering, re- like sort of offering services and attaching them to products and using those as ways to like better convert customers and like the tools available to do that are, are pretty interesting. And then, yeah, and then, you know, just for us, it's really around continuing to personalize our web experience, um, provide better, better customer experience and and those types of things. So, you know, I think 2021 is going to be a really interesting year. I I think it's actually going to be like two distinct years in one, like the first half and the second half will be just completely different for a lot of businesses. Um, And I actually would encourage anyone that's like thinking about, Either starting a business or, or budgeting for a business to think about the world that way. You might actually want to have budgets for like a like a t- beginning of the year plan and a second half of the year plan because it's just really hard to know where where we'll be. Um, I, I feel sure. confident in knowing where we'll be for the next like three to four months, but after that, it's going to be it's going to be a completely new experience.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. So I want to dig a bit more into you were just mentioning about merging products and services, and I haven't heard anyone talk about that yet. So I want to hear more. Um, what are you thinking around that? What kind of tools are popping up that you have top of mind?
1: Yeah. So you know, I think for us, um, merging products and services, th- there's a few forms of it. Um, one, which is at its most face value, is just offering more services as if they were products. So like that would be things like white glove delivery. Um Things like old mattress removal, those those types of services, which technically aren't really like physical products, but they help convert customers into buying your physical products.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Perhaps the more interesting area is as it relates to customer experience and and can you empower your customer experience team to provide service as opposed to just being like a like an answer center, right? So like yep. you know I think A lot of people view customer experience or customer service as an area where people go and ask questions. But can you be more proactive providing service, whether that service be design consultation, be, um, you know, like helping think through answering questions or or whatever it might be um, that really activate in almost a little bit more like a sales channel. I think that that's really interesting as well for us. And then, you know, I know a lot of other people are thinking about, other, other types of service um, services they can offer. Obviously, this is just what, what we're thinking about. But I, I think that you're going to see a lot more like web experiences that are trying to provide like a service-like experience to a consumer in addition to a product.
0: Got it, yeah. And it seems like once some of those services start happening though, a lot of times they can become commoditized where then the consumer just starts to expect it. I mean, I'm even thinking about, you know, contactless delivery and things like that where it might cost some businesses, you know, extra money to be able to do that or take a mattress away or whatever it may be. But I think eventually it'll become standard and that businesses need to start planning for what are the consumers looking for now and what will eventually have to be absorbed into the margin because it's, you know, commoditized.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that if what you're adding is something that can be easily commoditized, it certainly will be. Mm -hmm. If what you're adding is differentiated, unique, and valuable, then you should be able to charge for that value, right? It's sort of that simple. And so, you know, I think the example I use, like white glove delivery is not, it's not, that's not like unique to us. Like We're not the only people that can do that, obviously. And so offering that perhaps could be something that becomes table stakes or something that consumers come to have a level of expectation, but offering like really niche opportunities to engage with someone on our CX team to help you through the buying process that that's not a commodity, right? Like that's something that um you can really get to an amazing place through training and through through branding and through um, just like the entirety of your of your ecosystem, in my opinion. And so I definitely agree that some of these things could be commoditized, but if you're doing them right, you should be able to either it should show up in your financials somewhere, whether it's mm-hmm. like you can charge more, your conversion rate is better, et cetera.
0: All right, let's move over to the lightning round brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Adam? I hope so. All right, first up, if you were to have a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be?
1: If I had a podcast, I mean, this is a boring answer. Right now, it would be on like deep, effectively what I was just talking about, which is like the future of D2C. And my first Mm -hmm. guest would probably be Uh, Jeff Rader from Harry's.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Awesome. What's up next on your Netflix queue?
1: Uh, I'm about to finish the last episode of Queen's Gambit and I love it. It's really cool and I like it a lot.
0: So good. I finished that too. It's awesome. What topic or trend do you not understand today that you wish you did?
1: Um, I dabbled in in like high level cryptocurrency a year and a half ago and I just Uh don't understand it at all. So I, I wish I knew it better because I think there's opportunity there, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm the the guy that's going to find it.
0: Uh, what's the nicest thing someone's ever done for you?
1: Wow, the nicest thing someone's ever done for me.
0: <laughs> I get that response a lot. Whoa, deep.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's deep. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm pretty. My wife married me. That was pretty nice. I'm pretty happy about that. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what
0: I, a nice lady. I,
1: I, I know, right? What a nice. I, I guess the, the nicest thing, um, we had some pretty good... like I'll just bring it back to you, Alex. I don't know if that's a boring answer or not, but we had some pretty um, awesome early advisors that really didn't need to give the time that they that they gave. And, and it was just like immensely valuable. So I'll go with that.
0: That's a good one. All right. And then the last one, what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year?
1: Uh, well, the... The real answer is COVID and, and the vaccine. Yeah. That, that's the, that is the answer. And I, th- I think that anyone that tells you it's not macroeconomic facts is lying. From an internal standpoint, I'll go back to something I said earlier. I think that like the, the movement in payment processing is a pretty big deal and not a lot of people are thinking about it. Um, and I think that's gonna be a big deal.
0: Yep, cool. All right, Adam. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about you and Helix?
1: Yeah, definitely so come check us out it's helixsleep.com uh for for helix for birch it's birchliving.com and for Allform, the modular sofa brand it's all form.com yeah and that's that's sort of the best place to to check us out and and learn more
0: awesome all right well thanks so much and have a great night
1: all right thank you so much
0: hey everyone i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter to get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash up
2: next in commerce. Up next in commerce is brought to you by Salesforce commerce cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.